Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, and it is finally time, our most ambitious, largest series of the entire year. Always come smack dab in the middle of the offseason. We are doing our division previews now, broken out team by team, where we go over, literally, by the time this series is over, every single move that has happened in the NFL from the end of last season up until now, we talk about how it affects every single team. We talk about scheme fits. We talk about drafts, free agent classes, college free agent classes, coaching changes, everything you could ever want to know. We're going to talk about it team by team, one episode a day for basically two months straight. And we are starting off with uh, one of the more intriguing teams, low-key intriguing teams, I would say, in the entire league since we're starting with the AFC South, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. But before we get into all that, EJ, buddy, how you doing? And what are you drinking tonight? Woot! We're here. <laughs> We're finally here. We're to the off-season divisional previews. I couldn't be more excited about this series this year. Uh, it's been a great series for us. Uh, we've had great feedback from all the bootleg patrons, all the bootleg viewers, listeners. They love this. We've had feedback from folks that work for NFL teams have reached out to us and said, for my money, that's the best content going in the offseason because I have to concentrate on my team. And if I want to learn about all the other teams, I watch your stuff. That was a huge compliment. This year, it's going to blow them all away. And for me personally, it's great doing all the research to put these together. Really sets me up to be successful for the year knowing where everybody is reminds me of all those moves right before we started recording you're like oh yeah that's where that guy ended up and i'm like oh yeah there's a lot of that because there's so much movement and the nfl is a year-round sport now so this is our chance to sort of reset and look at 2022 and say where is each team and what did they really do and what do we think their chances are if you're a big time better or a big time fantasy player this series is always going to be the one for you and we get feedback from a lot of people listen to the show pretty much only in the off season because they're big time betters or fantasy players so uh that's the name of the game here very 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 deep dives into every single team um and at the top of every single preview we're gonna do a 2021 short-lived recap basically you know what are we working with from the 2021 jaguars obviously not an ideal year they had an overall record of 3 and 14. They were last in the division, home record 3 and 6, road record 0 and 8. It was pretty much a disaster from start to finish. A lot of that can be blamed on Urban Meyer, uh, who was arguably 
not even arguably, I would say was the worst coaching hire in the history of the league. And that's, that's a high standard. Cause I mean, we look at Petrino. I mean, we look at uh, name any (laughs) most jets regimes for the last 15 years that went nowhere. Like there have been some bad, I mean, look at the Browns for the last 20 years. There have been some bad coaching hires by a lot of franchises. Urban Meyer was the worst, not just because he was completely overwhelmed at the NFL level. He didn't understand how to handle people. He didn't understand how to treat them with respect, how to treat his own players, his own staff with respect. Um, Player valuation was all over the board for him. It was a mess of biblical proportions that I don't know if I'm ever going to see again. And so for that reason, I do kind of give the people that are still on the team that are still in the organization, I kind of give them a pass for what happened last year, because let's be honest, nobody, not even a prospect as highly touted as Trevor Lawrence could have survived hurricane urban last year. That was, that was historically rough. It was very, very bad. And it's bad when somebody like Trevor Lawrence has to go to the head, the ostensible head coach and say, yo coach, this guy's our best running back. We should be playing him, like, period. Like, we should be playing him. When stuff like that is going on, it's just symptomatic of, ugh. And there was a lot of, ugh, in Jacksonville. It ended badly. It ended early, prematurely. Urban Meyer was, at best, wildly ill-prepared for what he needed to do in Jacksonville, in the NFL, at every level, And it's a shame because we were excited about this team last year, too, in terms of talent, in terms of uh, who they'd brought in, in terms of what we might see from them. And very quickly, it became apparent within the first month, oh, we're not going to see anything from them. Like they're not. I would say by the middle of training camp when they were doing that weird rep split between Minshew and Lawrence. And it's like, you got a rookie quarterback. Give him reps. He needs to be ready. Oh well, you're were talking to a guy competition. That, yeah, yeah, you're talking to a guy that followed a team coach by Matt Nagy that didn't do that either. So I'm like, <laughs> mm, can't really say anything about that. But very quickly into the season, whether it was preseason, whether it was a couple of weeks into the regular season, nah, you you just knew like, nope, the the barrier is too large to overcome. We're not going to see this team achieve its potential, and that's. That's really hard for people in the organization, all people, not just players. I mean, trainers are like, hey, we got 14 more games of this. Get excited, right? It's Nobody's excited at that point. And it just continued to snowball and get worse very quickly from there. So um, a complete reset this year. We get to talk about them fresh again. And, yeah, when you're looking at 3-14, and 14, it's not great. The reason we did a home and road split is exactly so you can see how they performed. If there was uh, anything notable or if it was kind of 500 at both places, great. No, the Jags struggled badly on the road. They didn't win at all. 0-8. That's rare, even for bad teams. Usually they'll pick up a road win. Um, they didn't. So I do I think that's going to change this year? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. But, yeah, you can kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. For last year, this year, again, new coaching staff. We'll talk about them, but uh, it feels like it's got to feel to the players like a breath of fresh air. Just remember, this team did beat the Bills last year, so there there was <laughs> something there. Yep. Uh, it just wasn't with Urban Meyer. 
now let's talk about that new coaching staff. Good transition there. Uh, the one major holdover is Trent Baalke, who returned as general manager, much to the chagrin as many of, of many Jags fans, I should say. A lot of Jags fans wanted him out. Um, that did not happen for whatever reason. Uh, so he retained the GM role, but they did bring in Doug Peterson, which I think was a highly praised move by, I don't know, virtually everybody. Um, you know, an experienced head coach, has a Super Bowl ring under his belt. Uh, we could talk about a lot of the circumstances that led to that ring, but hey, winning a Super Bowl is really, really hard, especially when you do it with a backup quarterback. So he is legitimately a good coach, um, regardless of how his weird tenure in Philly ended with that kind of like sort of kind of throwing the game to stick it to a division rival thing. Like that was objectively odd, but it's a story for another day. Uh, under Doug Peterson, we have Press Taylor at offensive coordinator his first year. Um, he's coming from, you know, working with Doug Peterson for a long time. He was with the Eagles for a long time, specifically for eight seasons. Uh, he was the assistant quarterbacks coach under Peterson when they won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Uh, he spent last year with the Colts as a senior offensive assistant, now with the Jags, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars as the OC. You got Mike Caldwell uh, in his first year at D.C. Last year, he was the inside linebackers coach for Tampa, so I'm really curious to see uh, what kind of influences he picks up from them, and by that, I mean, is he going to blitz these linebackers as much as humanly possible, like Tampa likes to do? They have two linebackers that I think are perfectly capable of doing that, which we'll get to shortly. So I would like to see that. Uh, and then Heath Farwell, his first year uh, at special teams coordinator as well for Jacksonville. Notable coaches, and this is something you put together. Yeah, so we're going to pull out notable coaches. Notable coaches is a lot of times former players. Those are names that you all are going to recognize from their time in the league or folks that have had high-profile roles elsewhere or success or really notable failure. We'll pull those up as well. But <laughs> in Jacksonville, on offense, you've got Jim Bob Cooter, Mike McCoy, Bernie Parmalee, Henry Burris, and Todd Washington. And on defense, you've got Bob Sutton, Brenton Buckner, Tony Gilbert, and Deshae Townsend. So lots of former players and really experienced coaches that have come from other stops. It's a, it's a new staff, but it is not a green staff at all. This is a lot of folks with a lot of experience in the league, either on the field or on the sideline or both. And that can only help the Jacksonville players. They're going to relate to a lot of these guys very easily. They know they've been in their shoes. Um, should give them a quicker ramp than if you were bringing in a lot of green coaches, super young coaches, um, folks that don't have a lot of experience at the NFL level. Not the case in Jacksonville. And, you know, when it comes to, say, Jim Bob Cooter, Mike McCoy, historically they have had the most success when they were in a hyper-specialized role. You know, not necessarily being the the coordinator or the head coach but more so of like hey coach cooter we we have a specific problem we need to solve this week you're on game plan duty you know for third and long situations like mm. what's something that we can do to crack this open like he's always been known as a guy who is very good at solving very specific problems on a micro level not necessarily being uh the macro level coach you know the guy who can string everything together like a virtuoso 
Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, those kind of guys. And so I think those are valuable assets to have McCoy and Jim Bob Cooter from a game planning perspective because they are problem solvers. And I think, uh, you know, Todd Washington uh, is a very experienced coach, former Houston Texan, by the way. Very curious to see how that works out. I mean, Tony Gilbert, like you said, there's there's a lot of pro experience, not just as coaches, but as players, which for a team that was dealing with significant locker room issues last year, having a coaching staff that understands what it's like to be a player, I think is a very valuable asset for them. So Doug Peterson uh, has built, in my opinion, low-key, pretty good staff. We'll see what uh, what the future holds for Trent Baalke as general manager. Mm. That's been It's been a wild ride in the past for him, but fingers crossed. Yeah, <laughs> it can't he, be any worse than it was. He before. more than anything hung on. Uh, yeah. I don't think you can really classify that move any other way. Uh, you know, you could say he won, but it was more Urban Meyer lost in the power struggle. Um, the owner, Shad Khan, believes in Trent Balky. He retained him. He could have gone for a clean sweep. He chose not to. Uh, that was much to the chagrin of many of the league people that we talked to or interacted with during that time. They were like, man, I quite frankly when they were being honest i really hope balky goes i don't want to have to deal with him if my guy goes you know is thinking about going to jacksonville or i'll tell my guy not to go to jacksonville those comments were all over not just to us and i think that persists and everybody kind of went oh okay he won king on the hill we're gonna have to deal with him so we'll we'll be quiet about just kind of accepted at this point i mean nfl owners are owners for a reason they get to do what they want uh, there were a lot of people that weren't wild about Trent Baalke being retained. Um, we'll talk about the player personnel strategy, both from the pro side and free agency and, and the draft. I, I'd say he's doing okay there, but there, there's a lot of uh, I'd rather not when it comes to Trent Baalke around the league. <laughs> well, I, I think I saw a stat of like his last four head coaches oh, yeah. that he was GM for all got fired after a year, including Urban. Which is part of the reason why um, uh, Tampa OC, shit, name escapes me. Byron Leftwich. Yes. Yeah. Said, um, no thanks. Yeah. Well, he he had stipulations of, I'll be your coach if you're bringing in Adrian Wilson, former mm-hmm. hard-hitting safety Adrian Wilson, who I think is like director of pro personnel for Arizona right now, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, I said, yeah, I'll come be your head coach if 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 you get rid of Balky and bring in Adrian Wilson. And they said no. So Byron said, okay, that's <laughs> I cool. I won't take the job. I'll stay so. where I'm at. I have a good situation and I'm not going to be having to fight uphill battles that I don't want to fight. And, and good yeah. for Byron. I mean, that's it's nice. It's a luxury to be able to say, no, I, I like my spot enough that I'm not going to jump for what is absolutely promotion. I mean, look, there's only 32 NFL head coaches in the world uh it's a very prestigious and rare job but byron weighed his options and said "Mm, i don't i don't think i'm going to be as successful as i want to be in my first pro head coaching job so i'm gonna i'm gonna sit where i'm at and wait for another spot to come open and uh, you know if he keeps delivering the way he has that will happen i i don't doubt that and he's getting another year with Tom and the team's reloaded. He's going to be one of the 
top three names next year too. So I don't think he's in any rush. No. I, I really don't. He knows no. he's going to get a job. He just wants it to be the right one. So credit to him. Uh, and that's nothing against Doug Peterson being like the second choice, mm. by the way. That's just what happened. You know, that's, that's just how it it's is. It's notable when a head coaching candidate who doesn't have a lot of leverage says this or else. And that's essentially what he said. And they said, or else. And he said, cool. Bye. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. Uh- the spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Um, now, free agency losses, and these are guys that either you know walked away um, after their contract ended or they were cut, you know, UFAs, SFAs, a- anything of that nature. We're kind of all throwing them together on one graph, uh, graphic, I should say. But there's five names that we want to highlight in particular, which are the names that, that really matter in terms of percentage of snaps played last year that is no longer on the team. That is Andrew Norwell, who's the guard who played 99.4% of snaps. He was he was uh, very durable for them last year. Now he's with the Commanders. Ironically, they swapped guards. Brandon Scherf from the Commanders now Jaguar. So kind of an interesting little little wife swap there. Uh, Jihad Ward, who's a rotational interior pass rusher, he left and he's now with the Giants. DJ Chark. Um, who had barely played any snaps last year before he tore his ACL. I think he tore it week one, you know, kind of a dynamic field stretcher. He's now in Detroit. Uh, Damien Wilson, the linebacker, is in Carolina. And Miles Jack, this one probably hurts most of all. You know, the the last remaining starter from that 2017 Saxonville defense, uh, big, fast, strong, aggressive hitter, you know, was still one of their best players on defense, in my opinion. He is now a Pittsburgh Steeler signed at eight million a year which to me is a value for a guy like miles jack so uh those are probably the biggest names they lost for you ej which one do you think is is going to be the one that they really can't replace i don't know about can't replace in terms of really miss dj chark went healthy again last year it's not because of percentage of snaps the reason we put dj chark on this list is because of the impact he's had during his time in jacksonville last year wasn't that year because of the injury but when he was on the field for jacksonville he was essentially their wide receiver one. He was playing that role and playing it well. He was he was not just a oh, I guess he's a one. Like he he held that down. That production, they've uh, we'll talk about how they've chosen to try and replace that production. <laughs> um but I think they'll miss him. Jihad Ward was not a guy. He only played 40-something percent of the snaps, but that was again by plan. He was to come in in that rotational wave of rushers and did provide some pop andrew norwell one of those guys that doesn't get talked about a lot but come on he literally played 99 and a half percent of the snaps he was always there he's a rock now they went out and paid big money for his replacement hopefully that guy could be just as healthy uh but in terms of offensive line sometimes it's not necessarily just about uh you know the most talented guy great to have talented offensive linemen don't get me wrong but consistency and knowing what the guy next to you is going to do and the jags could count on norwell he was he was always there and very consistent so 
Miles Jack, I know a lot of people are going to jump to that name. Uh, he was uh, he was up and down. He's a great athlete, and I think he's going to be a great player, and I think Pittsburgh is a tremendous landing spot. We'll talk about him when we get to the Steelers preview. Um, but they went out and got somebody I love low-key in free agency, so might not sting as much. A lot of Jags fans are absolutely going to miss Miles Jack because he was, like you said, a face of that defense, and not just a face. He made impact. Tremendous player, great range. Um, very versatile, good going forward and going backwards. So they're going to feel that there's going to be an adjustment period. But like you said, really interesting to see what the defense is going to be before we say, oh, they they're not going to be able to replace Miles Jack. Well, maybe, maybe not, depending on how they how they blitz their linebackers, how they drop them in coverage. All that's going to shake out over the course of this season. Now, I objectively, I want to preface this by saying Brandon Scherf is a better guard than Andrew Norwell. What I found interesting just from a team building perspective so the commanders are paying norwell five million right um sheriff's making 16 and a half for the jaguars norwell only gave up like a pressure and a half a game last year like three sacks again not crazy ultra elite oh my god you're never beating him but solid consistent is it is it a is it worth 11 and a half million to go from somebody who's solid to somebody who when healthy, keep in mind, durability has not been a strong suit of Scherf for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Is it worth an extra $11.5 million a year to go from durable and solid to a little bit of a glass cannon with Brandon Scherf? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But I, I did find it um, interesting that they're, they're kind of gambling on that trade-off a little bit. I would say the way the Jaguars spent money in this offseason could absolutely be labeled interesting. Well, now that you mentioned it, why why don't we talk about some of the players they brought in through various means? Again, this is in terms of total guys signed in all the different or extended or retained, however you want to put it. These are all the guys that either were on the roster last year that they're keeping or new guys that they brought in. We're just kind of throwing them all into additions um, in terms of just guys they brought in from other teams. Arden Key is definitely one worth highlighting as a rotational edge rusher. Uh, Christian Kirk completely reset the wide receiver market pretty much by himself. He's at $18 million a year for uh, number three, which is absurd, but we'll circle back to that one. Brandon Scherf, we just mentioned he's at 16 and a half. When he's healthy, he's a top five guard in the league, but the health is is always been a little bit of a concern. Um, Foye Oluokun, who was a tackle machine for Atlanta. They brought him in at $15 million a year. Big time deal for him, and he's earned it. Uh, Evan Ingram didn't quite become what maybe we thought he would be with the Giants, but he got $9 million a year to be uh, you know kind of a move tight end, a big slot for them. Uh, and then we got uh, Folu Fadakasi, who is one of the best run-stopping nose tackles in the entire league at $10 million a year. Again, a lot of people kind of... Their eyes bugged out of their head when they saw that, but when you see his effect on the run game, for me, that makes sense. Uh, Zay Jones, who you know, kind of had a little bit of a, a a Benjamin Button type career, where like every single year it looks like he's gotten a little bit more explosive, a little bit more dangerous as his career has gone on. He's now, I think, on his third team. Mm-hmm. I think in in four years, but he got eight million a year. Again, a lot of people kind of. Ugh, that's a lot for Zay Jones, but they needed dudes. Uh, and then Darius Williams 
for this one actually I thought was a steal. Yeah. Ten million for Darius Williams. That was actually in terms of economics, their best signing in terms of value, you know, bang for the buck. Uh, he's going to be a starting quarter for them for day one. So they brought in a lot of guys from other teams in addition to the ones that they extended, which we'll go over shortly. We have to start with Christian Kirk. What the fuck? The case of Christian Kirk is really interesting. It happened very early. Free agency kicked off and Christian Kirk was one of the first like massive explosions in free agency. It was early signing, huge money, like you said. Many people were angry at Trent Baalke for resetting the wide receiver market because he did, and he set off a absolute wave, ripple effect, whatever. He threw a he threw a boulder into the pool and that wave washed wide receivers out of places where they were established, had them saying, well, if he's worth that, I'm way better than him. I'm going to hold out. I'm not going to play. You're going to trade me. And we saw unprecedented wide receiver movement throughout the league because of that move. So historically, it's an amazing point. It's very rare that you can point to one moment, one signing, one player moving from one team to another and say that literally changed the league. Christian Kirk being signed to the Jaguars for the amount of money that he was signed for changed the league. In I had many three ways. teams tell me because that remember that happened like the day after uh, Amari was traded. Yep. For like a fifth. And he's like 20 million for Amari a Cooper. Fifth. I had three teams tell me if we had known that we could get Amari for 20 million a year and a fifth round pick compared to Christian Kirk at 18 million a year, we would have offered a third and walked away. Like that's other teams around the NFL looked at that deal and said, what the hell is Trent Baalke doing? Not just for the Jags on roster, but how he screwed up everybody else. Yeah. And all of them have looked at their own number one wide receiver since then and gone, you wait, you're not going to no, don't, no, don't stop. Don't do it. <laughs> and it's, it was an earth shaking move. Um, in terms of just looking at the addition of Christian Kirk. Now, Shark, they'd made up their mind they didn't want to retain Shark, whether that was injury risk or fit or whatever else. They were going to let DJ Shark walk. They needed to replace his production either with one player or multiple players. And a lot of people will get on Christian Kirk and say, he's just not that good. What they mean is, prior to him being signed, he was not worth almost 20 million because almost nobody in the league was getting paid 20 million. Now look at how many people are getting paid 20 million. Uh, all the people that are better are demanding more money and getting it. And we're going to see that number continue to rise. It is a reset in the wide receiver market. So when you go back and look at the Christian Kirk deal, does it look great? No, it doesn't look great. Does it look as bad as it did on the day he signed it? Absolutely not. And that was only a couple of months ago. So, Christian Kirk last year for the Cardinals, had an up and down offense, 77 receptions, 982 yards, almost 13 a pop, a long of 55 touchdowns. So, you know, pretty productive receiver in the league. There's a lot of people that will say, well, it's it not a number one. He wasn't really signed to be a number one. Like you said, mm -hmm. you said a three, uh, you know, I think at best a two. If you're looking at a thousand yard receiver, 982 yards, as your number two, that's pretty good as the league goes. There's not a lot of pair 
1,000-yard receivers in the NFL. There's a few, but it's rare. So when you're looking to replace production, you know, Christian Kirk would not have been my choice. Sounds like I'm defending the Christian Kirk move. I'm saying it's not as horrible as it looked at the time. Would it have been my choice? No. Would I have paid that much money? No. If that meant he didn't come to my team, I would have been okay with it. I think there are other ways that we could certainly talk about. But the Jaguars wide receiver room in general is really interesting. It's hard for me to get a take on it because many other wide receiver rooms around the league you can look at and you can say, okay, that's what that guy's going to do. That guy's going to do this or this. That guy fills in or he's third or he's slot or, okay, that's their big slot, that's speed guy. You look at the Jaguars room and they got a You said they needed dudes. Well, they got dudes and a lot of them in my mind overlap. And that's not great. We talked about this during the draft. Like, how do you build out your room to build your weaknesses, um, to fill in some holes? They got a lot of guys that line up in the same columns and the it's same all number spot. twos, all number threes. They don't have a one anywhere. So their wide receiver room to me is confusing. There's a lot of talent in there, and I'm fascinated to see how guys like Jim Bob Cooter and Doug Peterson are going to come up with game plans to utilize these guys every week. And if we're going to talk about the wide receiver room, kind of have to talk about LaVisca. We didn't talk about LaVisca a lot last year. And LaVisca had a real year in, again, what was a terrible and crappy situation. 63 catches, over 600 yards. No touchdowns. That's definitely going to be held against him. But 600 yards is not easy to come by. You'd think a lot of people are over that threshold in his role. Mm, no. 600 yards in that environment. Right. I should clarify. <laughs> you know, that's... And, you know, we I, we kind of had visions of him last year being, you know, like a, a slot weapon, um, an H-back, which is kind of the original role that Urban was, was seeing for Travis Etchen. Uh, you know, kind of being like their Curtis Samuel, to put it in Ohio yes. State terms. Um, and you and I were like, well, they already have Visca, so like, do they really need Etchen to do that? And I kind of expected that after Etchen got hurt for them to really lean into that for, for Visca, and it just didn't happen. Uh, like Again, he still got production, but I felt like there was a lot of meat left on the bone mm-hmm. for what he is as a talent. And maybe Doug Peterson will lean more into that. You know, Maybe he and Etchen this year, now that Etchen's healthy again, you know, maybe they'll they'll kind of both be moving around constantly and just kind of being a headache for for defenses. We'll wait and see. Um, but I, I agree with you. He had, he had a better rookie year than he had any right to under the circumstances, and yet I still thought there was another two or three hundred yards total to be had with his talent level. It's going to be really interesting to see Peterson and his staff mix and match all these pieces. Now we've started talking about some of the running backs and the folks that are crossing over between running back and wide receiver role, which is happening more league-wide every Sunday to see how they're all lined, how the how the target split goes, uh, who Trevor gets comfortable with, you know, who the hot hand is. Are they just going to ride the hot hand or are they going to, you know, be more rigid about it and line guys up and say, no, this play goes to the X unless. Um, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see how the talent mix works because, again, they have a lot of overlapping skill sets and then they have a few uh, 
interesting players that have skill sets that are completely different. So it's not the kind of even spread that you'd like to see across your skill positions. There's some concentrations there. And I don't know if that means you're going to line four guys up and defenses are going to go, well, they all do the same thing. <laughs> we cover, uh, or, you know, if that's going to be an advantage or a disadvantage. So we'll see. Now I mentioned him earlier, uh, full of I think that this was definitely a, a Mike Caldwell influence because he saw what kind of effect Vita Vea had uh, in Tampa in terms of just having a giant boulder in the middle of your defense. Vea's more than that. But in terms of the effect that it has on a run game, to have somebody like that that can play anything from like a head-up G to a straight zero and just completely ruin blocking angles and ruin the math and, and you know, make things easier on, say, Alua Kuhn and Devin Lloyd, who are both rangy, tackling machine-type linebackers. You know, I think they both get off blocks well, but, boy, it's going to be nice when they don't have to because uh, they got Fadakasi in there. And I kind of think they're building for, like, a hybrid front, just kind of looking at their depth chart because you got Fadakasi at nose, you got Malcolm Brown and Roy Robinson-Harris who can both play anything from, like, a 3 to a 5. you got Trayvon Walker who can play anything from, like, a ghost 9 to four eyes so you want to do some even front stuff you want to do some odd front stuff different personnel groupings mix and match like i think we're going to see some wild shit from this defense because they brought in fatakasi who gives them breathing room they brought in oluakun who's a tackling machine in addition to some of the rookies we're going to talk about in a bit there's a lot of versatility here. And oh, by the way, they still have Josh Allen, who's still immensely talented, and I still believe in him too. You still got Caleb on Chase on, who we're waiting for him to hopefully be used full-time as a stand-up linebacker, God willing. There's so many versatile pieces here. I'm really excited to see how they get used. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, the Trayvon Walker piece that you mentioned is really interesting because of Caleb on Chason. Now, different staff when he arrived at the team in terms of usage and plan and how you bring a rookie along, what you teach him. Uh, just yesterday, uh, we're recording this a little bit earlier, Trayvon Walker was running linebacker drills at OTAs. Oh, I saw that. It was so and nice. <laughs> he's so uh, he's such an immense talent as an athlete that it looked completely natural, which is completely unnatural for a guy of his size. But the idea that you can rotate all those pieces and Olakun, I want to talk about because he was he was a guy that I really, really liked in this free agency cycle. I thought he was underrated. I was not surprised at all when he got a big deal. He is, I think, on the verge of breaking out. He was already doing that a little bit in Atlanta. Very rangy linebacker. Yes, he's a tackling machine, but he 
provides a lot in the modern linebacking role in terms of pass coverage underneath. Very fluid player. The fact that you have all these interchangeable pieces and they drafted Lloyd, and who knows what they're going to do with Chase on, and they're moving Trayvon Walker back, and uh, you've just got a lot of – you could almost play an amoeba front. Like, I would actually love it if they could. Like, put two guys in – it, we talked about it before the draft. Devin Lloyd is one of the best pass rushers in this draft. And everybody says, wait a second, he's an inside linebacker. I'm like, yeah, and he has more moves than a lot of edges in this last draft. So, you know, you start him at middle, and then you swap him out. You take Trayvon Walker, and you put him in the short pass drop zone, and you rush Devin Lloyd. That kind of stuff, if they bring it, is going to be delicious. I think we're going to see more wild shit from this Jags defensive front than we even saw from Tampa, and Tampa did everything um because i think their edge players josh allen and trayvon walker can drop better than jpp and shaq barrett which yeah. again if you're doing your job correctly you don't want them dropping that often because they're great pass rushers but if you got a good look and you can get the center pointing one way and you're bringing it from the other way and all that requires for you to get away with you know, running that kind of sim pressure where you're getting Devin Lloyd freeze, having a linebacker that can hold up for a second and a half in coverage. Trayvon Walker can do that. In fact, he can do that very well. So just the flexibility to have both edges that can drop so you can bring literally any kind of pressure you want. Massively valuable. So I think this this Jack's defense, especially, by the way, you got Darius Williams at corner. He's going to be playing opposite of Tyson Campbell, who I thought, you know, had a, a few flashes there as a rookie. You got Shaq Griffin there. There's dudes, man. There's dudes. I, I can't believe they paid $10 million for Williams. Only $10 million I thought he was getting like fourteen, fifteen, somewhere around there. As well as he played really over the last two seasons. Last season, he was completely lights out. He was one of the top almost 10 corners in the NFL. Like, I... I low-key think there's an argument that he was a top 10 corner in the NFL. Mm -hmm. That's not a player you pay 10 million for. And he lasted, he was available. They got him. And like you said, there he's going to slot in as a starting corner day one that they can count on. And in terms of all this, hopefully interchangeable, multiple looks that they can use to confuse an offense, they don't have to worry about Williams. Like, yeah. it's not like, and we need to overlap because he, no, he's good for three seconds, period, regardless, probably more like four or five by himself. Doesn't even really need safety help. Just put him over there. That kind of guy is, that's a bargain at $10 million. I was actually really surprised that he went for that little, given, you know, the, what have you done for me lately of the NFL? His last two years have been awesome. Yeah. Um, now getting to guys that the Jaguars retained, uh, obviously the highlight there is Cam Robinson at left tackle. They brought him back for a uh, 17.5 per year, big money deal for him. Relatively speaking, uh, Tyler Shatley, they retain Adam Gotsis, another, uh, rotational IDL, uh, Laquan Treadwell, who you mentioned earlier as like your number four slash also low key, good blocking receiver, uh, big physical dude that can block the run. Well, at the receiver position, they brought him back for like 1.2 a year, so it's nothing. Um, but I want to dive into Cam Robinson a little bit because we know for a fact they were in on Teron Armstead. They wanted Teron Armstead. Um, and Teron Armstead was very fascinated by the Florida teams for obvious tax reasons. <laughs> um, ended up going to Miami. Um, 
who were just willing to pay literally anything. Um, now, the reason why Jacksonville wanted to hit tackle in free agency, whether it was through Teron Armstead or by retaining Cam Robinson, who was under, I think, the second franchise tag at the time, they, they franchise tagged him just as insurance, um, was because they... They knew they didn't want to take a tackle first overall. They wanted to improve the defense, and so it was either going to be Aiden Hutchinson or it was going to be Trayvon Walker. That was a legitimate debate in the building. Now, when they definitely for sure lost out on Theron Armstead, Cam Robinson was kind of like, you know, the last guy in musical chairs. It's like, well, we still have him. Let's just get him paid. Worst case, we have a solid left tackle. We're fine there. What I, what I found interesting early on in the process, in the draft process, all we heard was Evan Neal's Jaguar. Because hmm. the Khan family is still very close to Doug Marone, who was his offensive line coach at Bama. Somewhere along the line, it became Evan Neal for sure a Jaguar to we're just going to stick with either Cam Robinson or Teron Armstead. I'm not sure who was advocating for what inside that building, in the end, if all my options were Cam Robinson, Teron Armstead, or, or, or Evan Neal, I probably would have gone with Evan Neal and saved myself the money on Cam Robinson. This is nothing against Cam Robinson, but I do think that Evan Neal has a higher ceiling as a left tackle, and he costs a hell of a lot less money. So that, I think, is a little bit of a point of contention with me is, is if we're talking about all of our options to keep Trevor Lawrence alive... I think that maybe they took the third one out of those three that I would have taken. Love Trayvon Walker, love Aiden Hutchinson. I still probably would have prioritized Evan Neal there. This goes back to the GM discussion we had at the top of the show. This very much to me felt like Trent Baalke saying, I win the draft because mm. Trent Baalke is the guy that can hand out the money to Cam Robinson and did and chose to. And with the timing, it happened right before the draft. And he was like, well, we just dropped a pretty good, pretty good contract on a left tackle. Guess what? We're not picking guys. We're not a picking left a left tackle. <laughs> right. So I'm going to get my defender. Thank you. Right. And that is again. Yeah. It started off with, Hey, left tackle is a need, you know, they can upgrade from Cam Robinson. There's players there they can get. There's a player there that they're familiar with or familiar with the coach of, player there that they like. And, yeah, that was the line. And then it started to shift. And a lot of people, as happens with rumors in the draft, said, no, 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 no. They're, you know, uh-uh. They, they wouldn't be so silly. Mm, well, <laughs> it felt very much to me. Trent Baalke determining the fate of the franchise by saying, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do and therefore what we're not going to do. I am going to sign him and we're not going to pick one. Deal? Deal. Cool. I made the deal. <laughs> That's right. And I don't disagree that he's the third of those options. Teron Armstead, not unlike Brandon Scherf, wouldn't that have been ironic if they signed them both? Both glass cannons, right? Like, awesome when they're on the field but you got to keep them on the field and that's a risk they were willing to take with Scherf which tells me they're probably willing to take it with Armstead as well Evan Neal I think higher ceiling and more savings you know would have been a value uh in terms of money and cap Cam Robinson 
the known choice, you know, the most known choice has already been with the organization. They know what they've got. They know what they don't have. They know what the strengths and weaknesses are. They chose to go that way, but it felt more so than like overtly, you know, endorsing Cam Robinson. It was like, well, we've got this option here. We're going to pay him. So he's not going anywhere. And guess what? We can just take this need right off the board. So who's that leave us with? Oh yeah. The guys I like. Well, why don't we get into the draft then? Get another handy-dandy segue there. Because uh, they did take Trevon Walker at first overall. Again, considering the circumstances of left tackle being taken care of, that was the proper first overall pick, in my opinion. If we rewind it back to February, before all of that stuff took place, I probably would have gone Evan Neal. But under the circumstances of April 27th or whatever the date was, Trevon Walker was the right pick. Uh, Devin Lloyd, they got it 27th overall. Surprised he was there at 27, but inside linebackers, a little bit of a depressed value. Uh, Luke Fortner, hyper um, sharp center prospect. We're talking about a guy who got a, a master's degree, um, and he, I think he's working on a, uh, a doctorate, if I recall correctly, right now. But I'll, I'll look it up for sure uh, out of Kentucky. He was there for six years, but he's got two degrees. Um, like genius level intellect, very experienced. And oh, by the way, he's a pretty good athlete too. Uh, Chad Muma, one of your favorites, as if yeah. they didn't have enough good linebackers as is. They got him at 70 overall. Um, really, really fun linebacker prospect out of Wyoming who looking for a comp. Just like imagine bigger Chris Borland. <laughs> that's that's Chad Muma to me, and that's a compliment. Uh, Snoop Connor, the running back out of Ole Miss, fun little uh, third running back they got in the fifth round. In the sixth round, they got Gregory Jr. from uh, Wachita Baptist. Hope I pronounced that correctly. Wachita. Wachita Baptist? Yep. That's what you're here for. Uh, and then round seven, <laughs> pick 222, Monterey Brown. Oh, that's awesome. Corner from Arkansas. So, again, small class, but uh, in terms of uh, in terms of draft value per pick. I was thrilled with what they did. I thought Balky did do a good job here. Again, all things considered, mm -hmm. um, with what happened in the free agency period beforehand. I think that defensive front is going to be nasty because they have just wave after wave after wave of dude at every single level of the defense. They have more linebackers than they know what to do with. They have more edge players than they know what to do with. They have more interior guys than they know what to do with. They're insulated from injury, and they're versatile, and I cannot wait to see what happens. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Yeah, they grabbed some of my favorites uh, through round three. Now, when you have two round one picks and two round three picks, you should come away with four good players in a loaded draft class, in one of the biggest draft classes in a long time. But Trayvon Walker... Headlined our defensive gems episode for good reason. Tremendous athlete with even more upside as a pro. I think he's still learning, still growing, still developing. I think he can do even more. And if you saw what he did at Georgia, that's a little scary. 
Uh, Devin Lloyd, my ILB one, even before the whole Nicobe Dean injury situation. Uh, so versatile, great length, can really do it all. Luke Fortner was a player that I really liked at center that I thought was a little underrated. Some other guys came from lower down and sort of made a late draft push as, you know, the sort of second wave or third wave of center prospects. I love Fortner. Very experienced, played against great competition, super smart. If you watch his tape, he was one of the guys who went back to the senior bowl tape on and went, you know what? I don't really think he ever lost a rep during the week. No, zero buzz, no hype. Very few. <laughs> you go back, and he didn't really cleanly lose any reps during the week. Great value. I think he's going to play a long time for them. And then Chad Muma. Love, love, love Chad Muma. Chad Muma is one of the few players I've ever scouted whose game tape looks like teach tape for practice drills. Mm -hmm. Like the things that you coach linebackers to do that they do most of, but then, you know, everybody flexes a little bit and just turns into an athlete during game situation. Ah, Muma. He's a great athlete, but he is still hip square, slide, drop the butt, hands up, and then snaps and makes the tackle. Um, Fundamentally sound, but athletically gifted as well. Between those two guys, Lloyd and Muma, that's why Jag fans aren't going to miss Miles Jack for more than the personality, more than the face. They are well set at his position with two of what I think are the best linebackers in this draft. They're going to enjoy watching that tandem play for a long time. I was wrong about Fortner, by the way. He doesn't have two degrees. Uh, he's actually getting three. Yeah. He got a uh, degree in mechanical engineering in 2019. He completed a master's in aerospace engineering yep. <laughs> And he's getting an MBA and I think graduates spring of 2022. So he might've already graduated. So he's got, <laughs> he's got two engineering degrees and an MBA yeah. in six years. I, and uh, one I of, feel... well, two of the harder engineering degrees in terms of mechanical, uh, I think is right up there with electrical is right there for man, that crap is really hard. And then to mm-hmm. go to aerospace and specialize again, all before you leave quote unquote, undergrad i mean he was there six years but yeah by all accounts brilliant dude um slightly undersized but it's even hard to say that anymore he's right at about 300 pounds moves really well and just always knows you want that out of the pivot you want somebody that knows his assignment and everybody else's assignments and can tell them with authority nope you did the right thing you did the wrong thing that's fortner i think think he's going to be a really good player i was surprised he went um he did go late uh no yeah late third 65th i actually thought he'd probably go fourth but i was not i wasn't like oh man that's it i was like well they (laughs) they liked him even more than i did which is never a bad thing with players so again his interviews were off the charts so that was kind of one that I, i wasn't I I got it just because I was like, yeah, you get him into a room and you talk to him for five minutes and you're like, oh, I I love this dude. Like he's he's that type of player where every coach loves him. Um, Snoop Connor, that's that's kind of the last one I want to talk about here. Really intriguing addition to that running back room because again, you got Travis Etchan who's like hybrid receiver running back at this point Mm -hmm. for them. He's taking a lot of reps at receiver um, during kind of the summer program. 
Um, you know, LaVisca Chenault can kind of do the same thing where he's a receiver that also gets snaps in the backfield. James Robinson is your big back, but he's still coming off an Achilles. He is doing, uh, he's running at this point, which is mm-hmm. great, but who knows when he'll actually be able to play. Snoop Connor at, at that kind of that classic running back dimension of 5'10", 220, I think there's a legitimate chance that while James Robinson's getting back up to speed, getting back in game shape, who knows how long it's going to take, Snoop Connor might be their primary kind of short yardage and goal line back or, you know, that first and 10 hammer while Etchen's more still that change of pace slash slot weapon type thing. Um, Snoop Connor might actually get a lot more carries than I think people realize while Robinson's still coming back. Yeah, who was the second leading rusher on last year's Jaguars team? Probably Trevor. Bingo. I, I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, 334 yards, 4.6 a carry and two touchdowns. After that, it was Carlos Hyde, but that was largely through his familiarity with Urban, not because he was terribly effective. Carlos Hyde, 72 carries, only 253 yards for a three-and-a-half-yard average, only one touchdown. So they didn't really have anybody. They were really counting on Etchen to to bolster that room. Of course, he had the early unfortunate injury, but it's not like they're bringing a lot of those guys back and, oh, this is our minted number two. Like Snoop Connor's going to have every opportunity early in the season. And he was, they already, they have this great blueprint for what he can do because he did it on his college team in the same sort of balance. Like Jerion Ely was the Travis Etienne of that team and Snoop Connor was the James Robinson, right? So they already know they've got a blueprint of like, oh, this is role we can use in this way. So he's that's an important pick. It's a later pick, but it's an important pick for them just because of where they are with who they let go and the health of their running back core right now. I don't think he's going to be starting, but I think he's going to be valuable. And I think he could pretty easily outperform even Trevor, like he could be the second leading rusher on this Jags team, depending on how long it takes Robinson to come back. Oh, for sure. Totally agreed. Um, now, they did bring in some running backs as UDFAs as well. None that I really expect to compete for that spot with Snoop. But hey, James Robinson himself was a UDFA, so you never know. Um, yeah. But overall, looking at their UDFA hall, kind of the main ones, uh, you know, looking at this full chart, the main ones I really want to talk about, Kevin Austin Jr., wide receiver from Notre Dame, Garrett Prince, the tight end from UAB, who I was stunned he went undrafted in the first place. I thought as a as an athletic tight end prospect, guaranteed to go somewhere late day three, but nope, ended up going undrafted. Great pickup for them. Um, Deshaun Dixon, the edge from Norfolk State, was getting a lot of buzz in like the last three weeks leading up to the draft. Grant Morgan, the linebacker from Arkansas. They do have a soft spot for Arkansas. Uh, and Josh Thompson, the corner from Texas, who I know uh, you watched him more than I did. I think I did like one game of him because I didn't have a chance to to finish him off. Overall, looking at their UDFA hall, who's the one that kind of sticks out to you the most? There's several. Uh, the one that sort of sticks out in a negative way, not because he's a bad player, but just again, because of that wide receiver room is Kevin Austin Jr., right? If I'm deciding where to go and I know they've signed all these players and they've got, you know, seven role players who aren't that different than myself. Again, Kevin Austin Jr. is not a super tall guy. He's not a burner. He's, you know, he he's another one they can line him up. It seems like a tough path to playing time for him. Garrett Prince, we saw at the Shrine Bowl, um, ended up getting a tweak in his hamstring there. But before that was 
absolutely standing up to competition. So also was surprised he went undrafted. Grant Morgan is really interesting to me. Again, in terms of reloading the the linebacker room, Grant Morgan, uh, nicknamed the captain, both for Captain Morgan, but he was their defensive captain. Very smart player, not nearly as athletically gifted as Muma or Lloyd, but really effective in the SEC. Had huge production, was one of those guys always in the right place, willing to hit, willing to fill gaps, um, knew his role and the role of those around him, which was, again, why he had that captain's jersey. So Morgan, I think, better than a low-key chance to stick. Josh Thompson was a little bit of hybrid for me. Like, he played corner for Texas, but I really looked at him and thought, that'd be a pretty good safety. That'd be a pretty good third safety. And that's how he's going to start off. He's going to start off as a special team or guy that can run. He's very solidly built. He is not, uh, he does not suffer from being slight as a defensive back. Um, muscular athlete from Texas, not surprising can hit. So they'll be running him down on special teams and that'll be his chance to earn playing time on the field. Eventually I could see him in like three safety packages. Um, really think he probably moves inside at some point don't see him as a stand-up outside corner for them final segment this kind of wraps up all of our thoughts team floor and team ceiling this is going to be for both ej and i what's the ceiling on wins that we see for this team kind of going through their schedule and what's the floor because every team has a range Mm -hmm. of possible outcomes um and that can be due to, due to injury, due to unforeseen uh, coaches falling apart, getting fired. <laughs> Every team has a range. For me, the ceiling is about eight wins, I would say. So they're splitting the division with Indy, with Houston, and with Tennessee. The Tennessee one's kind of, uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think they can definitely split with Indy. I think they can definitely split with Houston, Tennessee just kind of depends on is Derrick Henry Derrick Henry that day if yes no they're getting swept um now I also think they can get wins over Washington I think they can beat the Giants that one might be a little tougher than you think but I think they can do it um Detroit I it's possible they beat them but that would be a dogfight the Jets that one also possible but it kind of depends on what Zach Wilson in year two and then maybe maybe they can rip a win off the AFC West. One of those teams. They beat the Bills last year. It's true. With a worse situation all around, so it's not impossible. That best-case scenario gets them to eight wins, which I think Jags fans would be thrilled with. If they get to eight wins and Trevor is at least taking a step forward, Jags fans will call this season a win. The floor, for me, is four wins. Maybe split the division, maybe, and still beat Washington. You could argue like, okay, we're doing 3-14 and 14 again if Tennessee sweeps them, but I, I'd have a little bit more hope than that. I think the floor is four, the ceiling is eight. Where do you land? I ended up with a really narrow range. I didn't want to have a really narrow range, but I... I did a little bit of a reality check because I look at all the improvements and that's addition by subtraction with urban being gone and not sort of erasing a lot of effectiveness that was already there. A lot of the personnel moves that we've already talked through, you know, the coaching plus you can say taking urban away and then adding Peterson and a very experienced NFL staff, lots of their draft picks. We just sung the praises of even some of the UDFAs feels like, wow, Awesome. They're going to be way better. Well, 
they need to be way better. Um, yeah, last year was a train wreck, and they gave up 52 TDs, and they scored 28. Yikes. So is the offense going to be better? I think absolutely, without question, the offense will be better. Is the defense going to be better? I think, yes, the defense will also be better than it was last year. Are they going to be good enough to meet in the middle or actually have the off, you know, the TDs scored past the TDs allowed? That's, that's a big gap. They got a lot of work to make up and all the other teams get paid too. So I came up with a seven win ceiling, not so much counting games, but just looking at the talent level, looking at the improvement, thinking about what's possible. Now, could they go on a run, get hot, gel early and, and rip off eight or nine? They could. That would be a Cinderella season for this team. More likely, they make marked improvements on both sides of the ball. They get closer, maybe even out towards the end of the year in terms of touchdowns they can score and touchdowns they allow. That, to me, feels like about a seven-win team because they're probably not going to do it right off the gun with so many changes in terms of coaching staff, scheme, fit, players, all that. They're going to take a little while to gel. And floor is the same as yours. Four-win floor. I'd be shocked if they won less than four games shocked and disappointed uh just too much talent both on the coaching staff and on the player side they would have to be something something really bad would have to happen in their first half of the season or say half first 10 games so a little over half of the season they played the entire afc west so it's raiders chiefs broncos and chargers yeah. um they play the Colts twice. They play the Eagles, who are heavily favored in the NFC East at this point. They play the Giants, who are no slouches, in my opinion, under new leadership. Um, and then, you know, their quote-unquote easiest game of the year might be the first one against the Commanders. But I, I'm kind of with you. It's like slow start, and then they kind of even out towards the end. Um, if they get to eight, awesome. <laughs> I think that would be one of the crowning achievements of Doug Peterson's career of like taking this situation and improving it by that much in one year. Very possible. Mm-hmm. Very possible. Not super likely, but very possible. So overall, like I think this team is heading in the right direction. I am cautiously optimistic, and I emphasize the word cautiously, but I am cautiously optimistic. I think Trevor Lawrence still has a lot of of room to become what we hope. I think they drafted well. I think the defense is talented. I think, by God, they need a number one receiver, and maybe it'll take a couple years to do that. But there's something there. There's something there. There's room for growth. There's room for optimism. And if I was a Jags fan, I'd be kind of excited about at least just watching the team this year. That's where I land, is this team is going to be exciting on both sides of the ball. They might not always be the good kind of exciting, and they might not be exciting on offense and defense on the same week. If they are, they're probably going to win the game. They are that talented, but making that, getting that consistency on on each side and getting each side to play off and support the other side, that's probably going to come with time. But in the meantime, you're going to get to see Devin Lloyd doing all kinds of things. You're probably going to get to see some really fun hybrid defensive formations that are going to be exciting and give people fits. Um, they might pitch a couple shutouts this year. You know, they might only score 10 points, 
but that would still be a win if they could pitch a shutout. And there are going to be weeks that Trevor lights it up. Trevor, through the first six weeks of last year, had at least one play per game that showed you that the light was on. You're like, yep, that's why they drafted him. He'll develop. All rookie quarterbacks have some stumbling. Look at anybody you want to, Peyton Manning, anything else. The first year is about learning. The second year is when they really start to turn it on. We're going to see more of that and more consistently from Trevor because he's not going to be fighting an uphill battle of telling his head coach who to play at running back. Like his head coach can <laughs> handle that, right? We're going to see more of that natural ability that we saw at Clemson that we know is there, you know, super fast. People, people forget he can really motor. It's not surprising. He was the second leading rusher, great arm, very smart, manages the pocket pretty well. He's got a lot of options. They've increased, hopefully the protection in front of him we're just going to be able to see more of that more often. And as football fans, that's a huge plus. If you're a Jacksonville fan, you're going to get excitement. You're just hoping that excitement matches on each side of the ball because they're going to be really competitive in those games. Yeah. So overall, a lot of reasons to be excited. Uh, we'll see how they do. Uh, worst case, it'll be entertaining. But uh, that'll wrap it up for the first of 32 consecutive deep dives this one went about an hour long you can expect the other ones to also be about an hour long so we're looking at uh between the individual team deep dives and the division wrap-ups at the end of each week i don't know 40 hours of content between now and uh, the middle of preseason so we got a lot more coming your way tomorrow i think we have the texans episode coming out if i remember correctly and then after yep. that we got the colts and the titans to wrap up the afc south and then of course the uh full division wrap-up on friday the week of this comes out whenever that is i think we're recording this like two weeks in advance to give our editors uh, about that. <laughs> a little we're, bit of a runway a little but, bit of cushion uh, at the beginning of the ramp up yeah it's necessary trust me there's a lot of editing that goes into this but we'll be back tomorrow talking about the uh the good old houston texans who hopefully by the time that episode comes out they're not indicted by something um but yeah <laughs> we'll see you guys tomorrow later take care, take care.